when you know who Jesus is and what he's done, come let us adore him is the right song to sing. He is worthy of all of the glory because God the Son became a seed, an offspring of man, that he might become the sacrifice for our sins so that he can be our savior. When we understand that story, we give him all the glory. Nobody else is worthy of that. No one else is deserving of that. No one can stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and feel like we're doing him a favor. No, he is God and he is God alone. So as we sing these songs of praise, it stirs my affection and attention anew all the time. So I always feel full and yet not ready at the same time because I just want to sing just a little bit longer. Because as we were singing that second song, it was a new song. But you would have thought that we've been singing that song for the past year because there was a choir that just was coming from the back and I could hear it and feel it. I wanted to turn around and just look for a moment, but I just was in the moment. But it was just so full and I believe that's because we believe that the creator of the universe sent his son to die for our sins. And now we have the hope of glory because of Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's a great story. We're going to unpack some more of that story this morning from 2 Samuel chapter 7. As we continue through this Advent series reminding us of this great truth that Jesus has come. And that's a celebration that we long to, to enter into, that our Savior has come. But we also remember that he is coming again. And that's the hope that we hold on to as we walk through this life. So as we prepare this morning, I ask that you would pray for me and pray with me before we open up the word together. Father, we are grateful and it is our declaration this morning. We give you all the glory. You and you alone are worthy of praise. And it's not because of what's happening in this world, but it's because of Jesus. And so we thank you that we have the joy of being called your sons and daughters. And it's not in our righteousness but it's through the righteousness of Christ. So this morning, we set our attention, our affections towards you. And as we hear your word, I pray we all declare that we will surrender. We will submit. We will obey because you're worthy of our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, 
Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision. Nathan spoke to David. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all, these, all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house and do as you have spoken and your name will be magnified forever saying the Lord of hosts is God over Israel and the house of your servant David will be established before you for you O Lord of hosts the God of Israel have made this revelation to your servant saying I will build you a house therefore your servant has found courage 
to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. This is the word of the Lord. The word of God is good all by itself. As we get ready to jump into 2 Samuel chapter 7, I want to take a few moments to give a high-level overview of 1 Samuel chapter 1 through 2 Samuel chapter 6 so that the context of this passage is not lost on us. So again, this is going to be very high level. If you are uh, teased just a little bit to want to understand or read more, it'd be good to read through 1 Samuel up through 2 Samuel chapter 6. So Samuel, the namesake of these two books, is a prophet. He's a judge over the nation of Israel, and he would essentially be the last judge to lead the children of Israel. Samuel has gotten older, and now his two sons are starting to lead in his stead, but his sons aren't as faithful to God's word as he was. Actually, they were corrupt. And so the people of God had went to Samuel and said, Samuel, we want a king. We want a king to protect us and to care for us like the other nations have a king because your sons are corrupt. Samuel, distraught, went to God. God tells Samuel, let them know what this king that they're asking for is going to do. He's not going to protect them. He's not going to care for them. The people hear the word of the Lord through Samuel, and they don't care. They want a king. The Lord tells Samuel, give them a king. And Saul is appointed king over the nation of Israel. And true to God's word, Saul was not a caring, gracious, loving king. He abused the people, and he disobeyed God. And it got so bad that Samuel, uh, Saul eventually lost the Ark of the Covenant to the enemies of Israel, the Philistines. Saul was told that he was rejected by God and Samuel was sent to anoint another king that would be a man after God's own heart to be raised up to lead the people of Israel. Saul gets wind of this truth and he finds out that David is going to be his successor, not his son Jonathan. Saul takes matters into his own hands and on two occasions he tries to kill David by throwing a spear at his head. I'm thinking you only throw one spirit in my head, you're not going to have a second time. But Saul, David was obedient. He went twice this happened. David is on the run for his life. He's living in the wilderness, hiding out in caves. He was so distraught for his life because Saul was coming down on him with the full weight and army of Israel that David went and actually hid out in the Philistines' camp in their land to try to get safety from Saul. Well, the Lord keeps his word and Saul ends up dying at the hands of the Philistines and David is now raised up to be king and he's king over all of Israel and because David's faithfulness to God is like none other the ark of the covenant is restored back to the nation of Israel and David defeats the Philistines and now 2nd Samuel chapter 7 the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. Saul is gone. Philistines defeated. David is in the castle, no longer hiding out in caves. And he's looking at this house of cedar that surrounds him. And he sees this tent 
this sanctuary that we've been going through Exodus talking about. And he says to himself, I would like to build a house of cedar, what we would go on to call the temple for the Ark of the Covenant. And he lets Nathan the prophet know, and Nathan says, that's a great idea. Go get it, David. And so David is getting ready to make preparations to build this temple. But then the Lord speaks to Nathan the same night. He didn't even let it sit for a day and tells Nathan to go back and let David know some things. And if you read through this passage with a 21st century Western culture, cynicism or sarcasm, you'll miss the heart of God as he's communicating to David. Because what God is not telling David is, did I ask you to build me a house? That's not the tone. And we'll understand that as we look at some more of 2 Samuel and a little bit of 1 Kings. What the Lord is saying to David when he says, would you build me a house to dwell in? He's looking at David and he's saying, I've never asked in all of these years for someone to build me a house of cedar. That's not a requirement that I gave. So David, you in your own volition are desiring to bless me? Like, oh. Bless you. Right? That's the heart that God has. He sees David's desire to bless him and build him a house. Though he never asked for it. Though he never required it. That David would desire to do that. I guess it, to me the southern hospitality. I've learned it since coming to Texas. It's really not as sincere as it seems I've learned. But you know, people say, oh, bless your heart. You got to listen to the tone Get the context, because they may mean you poor little sap or you beautiful, tender child. It can go as a range of things. But the Lord means it on the beautiful. Well, bless your heart, David. I'm going to bless you because you desire to bless me, but you're not going to build me a house. So that's what the Lord communicated to David. And we can see that as we go to verse 8, this prophetic word that Nathan is speaking to David. Now, therefore, since you desire to build me a house, thus... You shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince, leader over my people Israel. And I've been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. If you remember last week, as Sean uh, read through Genesis chapter 12, this promise sounds very much like the promise that God made to Abram, later Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so this is a covenantal promise that is now being ushered in through David as well. This is not simply, David, I'm going to make you famous. There's something bigger here that goes beyond even David where God told Abraham, I will make your name great. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So this greatness is for an entire people, which is why we see this next verse here after telling David this verse 10. And I will appoint a place for my people. Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. You were going to look to build me a permanent dwelling, but now I'm telling you I'm going to build a permanent dwelling for my people. I'm going to appoint a place and I'm going to plant them. I'm going to bless you because you had a desire 
You're not, you're not going to even do it, David, but you had a desire to bless me. I'm going to bless you. And the Lord lets David know that he's going to raise up an offspring, a son, who's going to sit on the throne and build this house for God that David desired to build. And it's right for us to understand that this promise was fulfilled through Solomon. Solomon was the son of David, and he became the king who sat on the throne, and he obeyed his father's wishes to build the house of God. And so 1 Kings chapter 7 and chapter 8 tell us that Solomon followed through on this command. He builds this beautiful, elaborate temple, and he builds the furnishings. It reads a lot like what we've read through in Exodus. And then we see in chapter 8, verse 1, that Solomon calls all the people together, and there's an appointed place that the Lord has designated for his people to be and to gather to worship him. Verse 1 of chapter 8 says, Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the fathers' houses of the people of Israel, before King Solomon in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was that place. To bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. And so now they're in this place and the temple is built and Solomon consecrates the temple. And then we could see here, based on Solomon's words, that Solomon understood that the fulfillment of him being king and the fulfillment of this temple being built was all based on the promise that God made to his father, David. I'm going to start reading at verse 10 only because it blessed my soul when I was reading it and it reminded me of Exodus 40. I could have picked up at verse 12, but who's going to argue for reading two more verses in the Bible? <laughs> and when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Then Solomon said, the Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. I have indeed built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. Then the king turned around and blessed all the assembly of Israel while all the assembly of Israel stood. And he said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his hand has fulfilled what he promised with his mouth to David, my father, saying, since the day that I brought my people Israel out of Egypt, I chose no city out of all the tribes of Israel in which to build a house, that my name might be there. But I chose David to be over my people Israel. Now it was in the heart of David my father to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to David my father, whereas it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the house, but your son who shall be born to you shall build the house for my name. Now the Lord has fulfilled his promise that he made. For I have risen in the place of David my father and sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised. And I have built the house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. And there I have provided a place for the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord that he made with our fathers when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. So here Solomon understands that because of what 
God promised to David. When we read in 2 Samuel 7 that now he sits on the throne and this temple stands complete. But there's a problem if we stop here with the promise at Solomon. Because the Lord uses words like kingdom and forever when he was communicating to David. And 2 Kings chapter 25 lets us know that the temple was not forever. A first century Roman Jewish historian named Josephus has uh, wrote down that it was 470 years, 10 months, and 6 days. But who's counting? Since the temple was built and then destroyed. So the Lord, if it was going to be forever, we would have to understand that I guess the house was forever and then forever is 470 years, 10 months, and six days, if Josephus was accurate. So we see here in 2 Kings 25 that that day that Josephus uh, lettered down to the final day actually came. 2 Kings 25 verses 8 through 15 capture this day of devastation and destruction for the nation of Israel where the temple was deemed not to last forever. In the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, that was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the bodyguard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, and he burned the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every great house he burned down. And all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls around Jerusalem. And the rest of the people who were left in the city and deserters who had deserted to the king of Babylon, together with the rest of the multitude, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, carried into exile. But the captain of the guard left some of the poorest of the land to be vine dressers and plowmen. And the pillars of bronze that were in the house of the Lord, and the stands and the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord. The Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried the bronze to Babylon. And they took away the pots and the shovels and the snuffers and the dishes for the incense and all the vessels of bronze used in the temple service, the fire pans also in the bowls. What was of gold, the captain of the guard took away as gold, and what was of silver as silver. So now the temple is destroyed, the gold and silver taken and the bronze. And so what happens then to the throne, this kingdom that was supposed to be established forever? Well, if we understand the scriptures rightly, Solomon, while yes, he was a fulfillment of the promise, he was a foreshadowing of the fullness of the promise. This promise that God made that we read in 2 Samuel 7. 11b through 14a. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Now, this word house is not a house of cedar. This word house actually speaks to posterity, descendants, offsprings for a time to come. This is actually the same language as the promise that God made to Abraham in chapter 15 of Genesis. Go outside, Abraham or Abram still at the time, and look at the stars. Count them if you can. So shall your offspring be. 
so shall your descendants, your posterity be. So the Lord, again, just like we saw the great name, this promise of a house is a part of that Abrahamic covenant that was passed on to Isaac, Jacob, and now to David. I will make you a posterity that will not end. And the Lord goes on, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up for your, from you offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. So this offspring, singular, this seed that's going to come from your body, I will establish his kingdom. Again, this can't mean Solomon in its fullness because if we understand the story rightly, read through 1 Kings, Solomon actually after him, the kingdom was divided because of his sinfulness. So then who are you talking about? Don't get ahead of me. I'm going to get there. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Now, because we have the full scroll of God, we can look into the word of God in Hebrews and understand who Nathan the prophet was actually speaking of that would be the full fulfillment of this promise. And again, I could read verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 1, but I'm going to start at verse 1 because it's so good. I mean, really. It really is good. You have to just pause. You have to open your Bible. If you have a Bible, if you have a phone, if you have the Bible app, just open to Hebrews chapter 1. You can, like, if your Bible is this big, it probably isn't because I have the extra large print. Uh, but it's closer to the back. See, kind of right here and in, in somewhere in that area, right? The back of the Bible. Look in your uh, the table of contents and find Hebrews. I want to give you a moment because this has changed your life good. When you think of who the fulfillment of this promise is. I don't hear any more pages. All right, we're going to read. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, prophets like Nathan. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. He, his son, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he, the son, upholds the universe by the word of his power. Good night. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Don't you just want to stand up for just a moment? If you need to, just go ahead. It's not going to disturb me at all. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you, or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Quoting 2 Samuel 7 verse 14 as we understand it from the reference tool that we have. So the author, which I'm going to argue is Paul. You may argue something different based on some new uh, findings, but 
We're going to go with Paul because I'm on the mic. So Paul writes this and lets us know that Jesus is the fulfillment of what we read in 2 Samuel chapter 7. He is the one that God will call son. Who will then, let's go back and just read a little bit of that. Who will be the offspring who shall come from the body of the line of the descendant of David. And this is the one who God will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, Jesus, if we understand Hebrews 1, 5 properly, for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And here it is, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And so here then the author is letting us know that Jesus was this offspring. Jesus was this seed that was to come and usher in this everlasting kingdom. It wasn't Solomon. So our hope does not have to be dashed when the temple is burned down and destroyed and the house of cedar, the castle, is destroyed and the walls are torn down. Our hope is not over. The promise is not lost. That was a foreshadow. The fulfillment is in Jesus Christ. And so Matthew gives us the genealogy of Jesus, and he goes through great lengths to point out this genealogy so that we might understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of the everlasting kingdom, the promise that God made to Abraham. But he's also the fulfillment of the promise that God made to David. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, Matthew chapter 1. The son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he goes through a list of names. And if you went through the Old Testament, you could track that through to see that Jesus came through the line of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, the Lion of Judah. He is the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And verse 17 kind of summarizes all of that was just listed out in chapter 1. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations. Second Kings 25 talked about that deportation when everything was destroyed and the people were taken into exile. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. So from Abraham to David, David to the deportation and the deportation to Christ, Jesus is the fulfillment of this great promise that God made to David, that there would be a kingdom that would be established forever. And Hebrews tells us what Jesus had to go through to establish this covenant forever. It says he who is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This God, God the Son, after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he came as a son through the line of David to fulfill this covenant, this promise that God made to David. But in order to solidify it, says he had to make purification for sins. So God, the son, the exact imprint, full radiance of the glory of God, puts on this fail, this frail and feeble frame. It says, I will become a seed and I will live amongst man so that I might become the sacrifice to purify their sins so that we can usher in this everlasting kingdom. And so now, 
Jesus, having a name far superior than the angels, sits on the throne of his kingdom forever. And this is the hope and the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. Because, yes, he is the fulfillment of this covenant that the Lord made with David. And he came. And now we know that there's an everlasting kingdom. But the Lord also lets us know that he's coming back again. See, because if we stop even here, someone can look and think to themselves, well, if it's an everlasting kingdom, well, why are we going through? Like if it's an everlasting kingdom, why isn't it easy and, and plush for us in this life? Well, Jesus told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, trust me, you wouldn't be talking to me right now. But Jesus speaks through John, his apostle, his disciple, and lets us know a hope that we can hold on to. The Revelation, chapter 22. I'm going to read verse 12 through 16. This is Jesus speaking to John, a word for the churches to hold on to. The king of the everlasting kingdom. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside of the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. This is our king who has an everlasting kingdom. He says, I'm coming soon and I'm coming to bring judgment repayment for all that you've done for those who wash their robes for those who do as I command for those who persevere for those who obey me they have the right to the tree of life and you can enter the city of his everlasting kingdom through the gates you are a welcome guest son and daughter of God but for those who reject him you don't get entry. But it's not God's desire that anybody should be on the outside looking in. Jesus came so that we all might have a right to the tree of life. But be not mistaken. Your access is not going to be on your goodness. Our access is going to be through our acceptance of the gift of Jesus Christ. And if we accept him, then we can enter in to the city through the gates. But if we do not accept him, then our robes will not be washed. They'll be filthy rags. And we're going to have to try and clean that out ourselves. And we cannot do that. We all understand this truth. Our goodness is not good enough. And it doesn't have to be. Jesus came. He came as a gift for us all. And he's coming again. And the same God who made good on his promise to David 
and didn't let us hold on to hope through Solomon, but said, I'm going to send my son is the same God who promises to send his son again. Listen, people of God, we do not have to wait until a a particular day on the month. You don't have to wait until December the 25th. You don't have to wait till your birthday. You don't have to wait until some made up marketed holiday so that you can buy a whole bunch of gifts that you really don't need. You don't have to wait for that to experience the hope and the joy of the greatest gift of your lifetime. We have the gift of Jesus Christ. He has come and he is coming again. Today is the day of our great hope and celebration. There might be some things that will happen in two weeks, but we don't even know if two weeks are coming. Tomorrow's not promised. I don't want to wait until some distant day in the future. I'm going to celebrate and praise him right now. A thousand hallelujahs? That was barely scraping the surface. Give me a million. He's worthy of all of my praise, the highest praise. I just see it in my head. So I'm going to just do it out loud in my heart for us. You know, we had this thought, Zach said, that the rocks aren't going to cry out louder than us. Anybody got woken up by the thunder on this morning at about 3.30? Yeah, it was okay. Just a few of you. Man, some of you sleep like rocks. That's good. <laughs> Bless you, because that thing was like, oh, okay, something's happening. I had to go check on the kids. You all are, you good? All right, everybody all right? But that thunder was loud. Right, for just a moment, entertain me. I want us to say hallelujah. Hallelujah is the highest praise. I'm going to give just a countdown to three. Just one, two, three. And as loud as you can. I mean, like David, just get indignant with your praise. It, I need some kids because you adults looking at me all stuff like, I can't say hallelujah any louder. Hallelujah. No, I need <clears throat> you to make sure that the thunder knows. Don't you come down here trying to praise him louder than us. I just, just for a moment, I think it'll be good for our souls. So just unbutton your top collar if you need to. And just... For a moment, entertain me. And listen, I'm watching you. <clears throat> right? Because if I go out to some sporting event, you're going to get indignant. Don't do that to my kids. So just, just for a moment, on the count of three, everybody ready? Just, just a hallelujah that, that will remind your neighbor that there's only one who's worthy. Can you mute me for just a moment? Mute me or mute me. <laughs> oh, I was I want to do it again, but I'm not, I'm not gonna push it. I'm not gonna push it. But doesn't that feel good to your soul? He's worthy of that. He's worthy of that and so much more. That the Son of God, this is not a knockoff. This is not New York City Louis Vuitton purse that you got on the corner and then it starts peeling before you get back to your hotel room. No, the exact imprint of the nature of God. I mean, I would be hard-pressed to put on some smelly clothes and go under a bridge and just be with people who find themselves lost and hurting. To put on flesh, I mean, just really, that before we think that there's some other gift that we can unwrap, God the Son wrapped himself in flesh 
so that you and I can have a right to the tree of life. He said, my father made a promise for an everlasting kingdom. And I'm not going to leave it up to Solomon, Rehoboam, or any of the other kings to usher in this everlasting kingdom. I'm going to come and do it myself, Jesus says. And then he purifies us from sin by giving his very life. I'm going to call the praise team come back up because I have another 30 minutes in me. And if they're standing here, that'll at least assure me that I'll give 15. <clears throat> so stretch a little bit, Zach. <clears throat> but I really want us to sit in that. Right? Because it's easy to say. And I get it. Life is hard. And so sometimes it's hard to focus on this everlasting kingdom. With the king who is forever, the name above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord, king of kings and Lord of lords. But we go through in this life. I cannot tell you since coming into the pastorate how many hardships. I have officiated ceremonies, wedding and funerals. Weddings may be a little bit happier, but funerals are hard. Homegoing services. And I mean, for things that I would have never thought, 90-year-old, okay, I expect that. But a 45-minute-old, I'd have never thought that. I've walked with people through depression, anxiety, terminal illness. It's hard. This is not heaven. And I'm certain that I don't have to go very long to convince you of that fact. But if you know that to be true, then we have to stop trying to make this heaven. Paul says that if our hope in Christ is in this life alone, then we are of all most to be pitied. But in fact, Jesus Christ has raised from the dead. And since he has raised from the dead, we can be certain that he's coming back again. And we will enter in through the gates into his everlasting kingdom. Our hope is not in this life. So then we cannot look to things in this life to hold us, to satisfy us, to keep us. We have a king. A forever king. He's come and he's coming again. The alpha, the omega. The beginning and the end. The first and the last the bright morning star. This is our king. This is our hope. This is our joy. And so I know that we go through, and I'm not asking you to put on a face. I'm not asking you to fake it. No, I'm asking you to hold on to the hope that we have in God. And through the hard, hold on to hope. Through the misery, through the pain, hold on to hope. Through the trials and the tribulations. Hold on to hope. And not a hope just in the distant future. A hope that's right now. Because he's present with us right now. People of God, this is a hope that brings us a peace that really does pass all understanding. I cannot explain to you. If it were not for the hope of Jesus, I could not be a pastor. I couldn't. It's too much to bear. But I know that I don't have to bear it because the king, he's in control. He's your king. 
Someone needs to hear that today. And not as a fluffy story that we just came to do a check in the box, but you need to hear that today. Like the way the scriptures talk about listening. It's not listen with your ear. It's listen with your heart, your will. Be moved to action. You need to hear that today. The Lord sees you listen. Listen. The Lord sees you where you are. He sees you. I wish I can communicate it the way I feel it in my soul. He sees you in the brokenness, in the hurt, in the trials and the tribulation. He sees you. He has not forgotten you. He knows your name. And he put on flesh for you. This feeble frame, I can't do it any justice. So I'm glad it's not up to me. The Holy Spirit, I believe, in your heart. Make it real, Jesus. Make it real for your people on this morning. We wait for nothing else. We wait for no one else. The king has come. And he's coming again. For a few minutes, for just a few minutes, I don't want to challenge you to put something aside. I want to challenge you to see Jesus rightly. I want to challenge you to hear this story. The exact imprint. The radiance of the glory of God. Who would package himself as a gift for you. My challenge is be captivated anew. Anew. I know there are distractions. The things that are dangling on the end of the hook. Like if you can get it, it'll satisfy you. But if you can get just a hint of an idea of who Jesus is and what he has done, change your life good. Change your life good. Remember the story. You and Jesus, for just a few minutes, be captivated anew. There's no gift you will ever receive. No gift that would do you like Jesus. If you need to, Stand, sit, kneel. These floors weren't dirty. I'd encourage you to lay prostrate. You and Jesus. Just for a few minutes.